0: Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell.
1: Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter from Slam Diego, but now of Sacktown. Welcome back, Cardinal fans. Uh, It's an exciting week with the uh, two um, college. Uh, All-Star games, the Shrine game tomorrow night. And then, of course, the uh, pro- the Senior Bowl, where Cardinals coaches are coaching up some pretty fantastic prospects this weekend. So um, that's pretty exciting as we, you know, during the two-week layoff before the C- Super Bowl. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about how one game can affect people's fate. And, and I have a number of Cardinals-related scenarios that I want to talk about. But, but before I do, I, I wanted to share um, how one game affected my life um, and uh, <clears throat> maybe later share an experience that I had that certainly changed my life. But And I, I, I'd ask all of you to, to think about an experience that you've had or one game that you've had that changed your life in certain ways um, for good or for bad, or sometimes if it happens for bad, it ends up being good. <laughs> well, you know, so it, it's, a, it's a crazy phenomenon, but um, in my book uh, stories, I tell my high school English students, I wrote about this one game Um where my dad had a strong influence in um, helping me swallow some pride um, and not quit. Uh, it was uh, it was always a lifetime goal of mine to play for Greenwich high School with all my um, my buddies that I played in the Greenwich um, uh, babe Ruth League, Little League, Babe Ruth League, senior babe Ruth, most of my best friends were, were baseball players that I played with or against. Um, and Greenwich, High had a very storied tradition of being one of the best uh, baseball high schools in the state of Connecticut. And you know, I was playing uh, actually in, in, you know, the Babe Ruth leagues against Mike Young, Steve Young of the 49ers, older brother. Of course, Steve Young came through there later um, and uh, was probably the most uh, famous Greenwich High School alum athletically in the school's history. So, But uh, but it was always my lifelong goal to pitch with the Greenwich Cardinal on my jersey. and um, But un- unfortunately, my parents thought that I lacked the academic discipline to handle public high school. So they sent me away to a private boarding school uh, called Canterbury School in New Milford, Connecticut. And I screamed, kicked and hollered, did everything I could to prevent it. But, and even when I got hazed by seniors, my freshman year was, uh, they ripped my clothes off, shoe polished me from head to toe and squirted fresh tubes of crest up my nose and threw me off the uh, senior terrace for me to run back naked shoe polished with with uh, toothpaste dripping from my nose um, into my dorm where faculty were walking down for the evening dinner because the dining hall was in the freshman dorm. When I called frantically home to ask if my parents would come save me, they were like, no, you're sticking this out. Um, and, um, so it was just, I it was a fate I couldn't you know, avoid, and um, and it prevented me from playing from for Greenwich High. And, but I had my one golden opportunity to play f- with Greenwich on my jersey when um, I was asked to to join my my buddies in um, the. Greenwich for the Greenwich's team in the Stamford Twilight League that was formed by Bobby Valentine, which was kind of a semi-pro league after you know college players and and um, and and professionals and and uh, all my buddies were playing on the team. The coach was coach was Timmy Tuffel's dad. Timmy Tuffel ended up playing for the Mets and winning a a World Championship with them in the infamous. Bill Buckner through the leg series against the Red Sox. Timmy was a starting second baseman and, um, I grew up playing with and against him. Um, it was really fun. He's a great, great friend. Um, and, um, so I was so excited. This was a, and my dad got wind of it. My dad was uh, kind of, um, off on his own then. And, uh, I wasn't seeing much of him, but, uh, he got wind of it and started showing up to every game with his beach chair. And he'd sit in the, in the, uh, along the, uh, left field foul line, um, watching and cheering us on. So I, uh, I'm up, I was a pitcher and I got off to a pretty good start. And, um, and then one game I, I had, uh, was in the, um, ninth inning with a four, three lead basis loaded one man out. And I, induced the hitter to hit right to Timmy Tuffel at shortstop for what could have been a a game ending double play. And unfortunately um, the ball went through Timmy's legs and we lost the game. And from that point on, suddenly coach Tuffel wasn't pitching me anymore. And uh, so I was going to game after game. My dad was there and I wasn't even getting in. And finally I, summoned up the gumption to go ask him, uh, coach, you know, am I going to uh, pitch again? And he said, yeah, Mitch, uh, as a matter of fact, you're going to pitch the second game of Saturday's doubleheader. Um, and you know, uh, the afternoon doubleheader we have at Benny park, um, And uh, so get yourself ready for that. I said, oh, thank you, coach. I can't wait. He goes, yeah, you bet. So Saturday came, and it was a beautiful summer, beautiful day, um, I remember. And there was my dad. So we won the first game, so I was excited about that. And as I was warming up for the second game, a uh, souped-up Trans Am to uh, to the field. And it was out Pop Junior Carino, one of our, you know, uh, high school legends, and uh, and the our players were all like, "Junior, what are you doing here? Do you have your cleats?" Yeah, they threw him a uniform, and Coach Tuffle pulled him aside and said, uh, "You're pitching." And um, so in the middle of my warmups, I'm learning. I'm not pitching. Um, I'm not going to get the start because Junior Carino, who was just given a uniform and hadn't played on the team all year, was going to go in and pitch. Um, Oh, man, I can't even begin to tell you uh, how bullshit I was. Um, And I, I, I just ripped my jersey off, threw it in a trash can, and was storming off the field into the parking lot towards my car when my dad intercepted me. And my dad was had this uncanny knack for kind of um I don't know, sort of having a perspicacious, intuitive way of kind of analyzing situations and predicting outcomes and stuff. And he stopped me in his tracks. He's, Listen, I saw what happened, and you have every right. Don't get me wrong. I'm as bullshit as you are to quit this team. But we know it's been your lifelong goal. And One of the best advices I ever got and which you should, I should give to you is swallow your pride, go back to that bench, and go to one more game and see what happens in the next game. Now, the next game was Monday night in Wilton. Um, against the number one team in the league. And our ace pitcher, Didi Pasquarelli was slated to pitch that game. So yeah, I go into one more game seemed, you know, silly because there was no way I was going to pitch that game. And, uh, and my dad said, yeah, but you never know, you know, just you're here anyway, go put your uniform back down, back on and sit on the bench cheer the guys on and go to one more game. So um it took a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I was pretty crushed emotionally to tell you the truth. Um and this was not the way I had envisioned finally getting my chance to pitch with my hometown on my on my jersey and with my best buddies and uh man, it was rough. So, but I sat there and ironically i got into the game late as a pinch runner <laughs> um so but uh uh we won the game and we were in second place and we we're going up to wilton to play the first place team on monday and i i as i promised to my dad i would go so monday we made the trip up to wilton and um uh, so i'm staying there before the game and no one can figure out why Dee pasquarelli hasn't shown up and suddenly we get word that Didi pasquarelli who was working for the greenwich oil company uh, um, had an emergency oil job um, and couldn't couldn't make the game so coach Tuffle pulled me aside and said mitch you're starting um, and you know here i was going up against the number one team in the, in the uh in the league but I didn't care I was just so fired up um got in the game and finally got my chance to pitch again and, um the in the ninth inning the game was 2 to 1 we were ahead and uh bases loaded two outs um coach Duffel came out He said you got you, you got um anything left in the tank to get this hitter out and I, I said yeah <laughs> I have gone this far. I gotta finish it, right? He goes, That's right, Mitch. Get it done. So um I induced the ground ball, this Timmy Tuffle. And this time he picked the clean foot to the second we won the game two to one. And um my dad was just, you know, I'm just looking at my dad. We were both rolling our eyes at each other, just like, wow, dad, how did you pull that one out of that?" He goes, You did, not 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 me, but I said, No, dad. This, if it weren't for you, this would have never happened. My teammates were just awesome, they were just hugging me. And, and um, the next game I pitched, and this is no lie, was the only no hitter I threw in my life. Um, it was against Westport <laughs> at home, um, and I was so it was 11 to nothing. One of my best friends who was watching the game. Jimmy Dunster, who was a legend in in, uh, in Greenwich, who uh, was a um, college All American linebacker at Jacksonville State, who had tried out for the Dolphins and was like the last guy cut. Um, he was there. I was working with him for him that summer, and he drew up the great game ball for me, and um, it was just like surreal. And then uh, a few games later, we're in the playoffs and the first round coach Tuffel um, asked me to pitch and it was such an honor. Um, I pitched seven and Dede Pasquarelli came in and pitched the, the uh, next two and we won over Stanford one to nothing. And um, so that in the next game, we lost to Wilton and the season was over, but everybody was really happy with how the season went we finished in second place. And, um, it was just such a great experience and uh, I owed it all to my dad um, and it's one of my fondest memories of my dad and it's a great mantra in life, one more game, because how many times do we quit things out of pride or hubris or or whatever um, and, and feeling totally justified to do it? I, I felt like I was, but. Dad helped me to realize that quitting is not the typically the best option. And um so show up to one more game and who knows what. Um so I wanted to wanted to preface uh this, my examples that I'm gonna use um with with that little anecdote um from my past that's pretty meaningful to me, but uh but I'm just really struck these days by how one game altered and changed um, Cliff Kingsbury's life, Kyler Murray's life, um, and how it impacted those things, and how I think potentially it can, it can affect Jonathan Gannon's um, career. Um, I'm going to go back and start at the um, Texas Tech-Oklahoma game in November, early November of 2000. 18 where um Texas Tech came out Texas Tech was seven what wait was uh, five and three coming into that game and uh Oklahoma was like seven and one I believe so they their only loss was to Texas well, they would end up avenging in the um, big 12 championship game but and Kyler Murray was of course on fire and then before that game was that now infamous uh press conference with, with Kingsbury who said if I had the one number one pick in the NFL draft I'd take Kyler Murray. And we know how Cliff had been trying to um, you know recruit Kyler to Texas Tech um unsuccessfully twice because uh, you know first with Kyler going to Texas A and M and then with him transferring with him going to Oklahoma instead of Texas Tech, I mean Cliff would Went to so many of Kyler's games and, um, you know, as someone who had to recruit when I was coaching, um, you know, I know what that that's like, you know, you show up and sometimes it works and you, you win the player, but, um, and the, and the player's family, but some, a lot, most of the time it doesn't, but you just keep trying. And, but that game at Texas tech was, I watched that game live Back at the time. Uh, I was so curious. And it, I mean, I was fascinated with Kyler Murray, not only just because of how dynamic he was on the field, but I'm an Oakland A's fan who had watched the A's draft him in the first round at pick nine of the MLP draft. And I was amazed that the A's gave him the opportunity to play football that year. Um, and uh now I was like kind of wondering. How this might affect my Oakland A's, uh, but you know, I was also mindful of the fact that there was a lot of football left, and we had to see what was going to happen. But Texas Tech jam-packed stadium, going crazy at five and three, with a young quarterback named Alan Bowman. Um, Kyle, if you could do me a favor and look up Alan Bowman, I think he's playing in like his seventh year of eligible, sixth year of eligibility this year. Where is he, and where? What's his situation, but I want to talk about him in a second, but, but Texas tech comes out on fire and intercepts Kyler twice in the first quarter, um, and jumps out to a 14, nothing lead. And I'm like going, Whoa, look at this. And the fans at TTU were going nuts. And, you know, this is such a huge rivalry game for them and everything. So, um, yeah. I mean, um, but Kyler got the team rolling again in this, in the, uh, second quarter, let him, led let him to three touchdowns. Uh, and at halftime the, uh, Red Raiders were ahead 31 to 28. <laughs> what a shootout. And Alan Bowman was outstanding in this game. Um, he was playing. He was outplaying Kyler Murray, but on the second to last play of the half, he rolled up his ankle, or he had suffered uh, um, some sort of an injury, and it 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 blew up on him, and he couldn't play the rest of the game. I mean, in the first half, he was twenty-one for twenty-six for two hundred twenty-seven yards and two TDs. Unbelievable. I mean, he was he was. He was balling big time, and he was running the football, too, and, uh, to convert key third downs. And This was just shaping up to be one of the great quarterback shootouts of, of the season, you know, and so I was all, you know, I had to stay up for this one. And in the second half, uh, amazingly, with second string quarterback um, Jet Duffy, Texas Tech stays in it. And, um, you know, they've, uh, in the third quarter, Kyler um, threw a 46-yard TD pass to Lee Morris to put the Oklahoma up 35-31. to Texas Tech answered with a field goal to cut it to 35-34. Trey Sermon on a 20-yard run makes it 42-34. But, um Jet Duffy comes back with a four yard touchdown pass to Zach Austin to make it 42 40. Uh, there was a defensive PAT conversion. They tried to, on the two point conversion, uh, to try to tie the game. Texas Tech uh, coughed it up and um, it was run back by Robert Barnes. So it's 44 40, Oklahoma. Then Kyler led him on a drive because they get the ball back 51 40. And then Jet Duffy. On a one yard run, cuts it to 51 47, um, 46, rather. Um, and they tried a two point conversion, which failed. That was with 146 left in the game, and they tried an onside kick and were un- unsuccessful. But it was just, and in that game, I was just so amazed that how much Cliff got out of Jet Duffy, um, you know, a second string quarterback who, Clearly wasn't as talented as uh, as Alan Bowman, but uh, but imagine, and this is the thing about this one game. Imagine how fates were changed that day, or or career paths were changed, because if Texas Tech wins this game, I mean they become bowl eligible at six and three. I mean, and they're they're you know, I mean, and with a feather in his cap, like beating Oklahoma and Kyler Murray. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury gets fired. In fact, I think they might extend his contract. Um, But, uh, I mean, and and Texas Tech had 473 yards of total offense in that game and 23 first downs. I mean, it it was so impressive. I was just like, wow. And, unfortunately, with Bowman now out, and this is the thing about Texas Tech is when you're not that deep, you know, and late in the season playing big 12 teams, it's t- it was tough. And um, tough to win as Cliff found out and everybody found out and Cliff ends up getting fired. But if that game's different, I don't think Cliff gets fired. And, of course, it sent a career path for both of them to converge later on, which is amazing and almost miraculous. Um, because then Kyler Murray, if Kyler Murray loses that game, does he win the Heisman? I would doubt it. Do they win the big 12? Maybe not. I mean, Oklahoma's defense that year was not good. And, um, and even if
0: they do win the big 12, they probably aren't getting that fourth spot in the college football playoff as a two loss conference champion.
1: Right. And that. You know, I mean, I think that Kyler Murray won a lot of fans in that Alabama game for how he came back after a really tough first half, trying to fend off the Alabama defense and their pressure. And Kyler, you know, really persevered in that game and, um, you know, did some wonderful things in the second half that made you sit up and certainly made me sit up and take notice. That's when I became convinced that if he, enters the NFL draft. I mean, this kid's more talented than Josh Rosen. And I, you know, I like Josh Rosen as a passer, um, and thought he had some potential there. Um, but Kyler Murray, I mean, the combination of skills just overwhelmingly um in his favor. Uh and so, I mean, I, I think I was the first one, certainly on Revenge of the Birds to champion this cause of drafting Kyler first. And, and um, I was pretty excited about it. And then the whole Kingsburg thing, the minute he was hired, I knew why. Um, and um, I mean, you don't hire Cliff Kingsbury unless it's Kyler Murray. Um, there's no question in my mind um, was then. And I, I think that, you know, uh, it was obvious to me and particularly when Michael Bidwell, said that uh, Ernie DeCourcy um, was a key he um, was a, a key um, confidant advisor in this decision to hire Cliff Kingsbury because Ernie DeCourcy's known as, as the GM who was known as the QB guy. Um, and you know, so I think that the conversation was first about Kyler Murray and, and I think Michael Bidwell was asking him, do you think Kyler Murray's a legit NFL quarterback? Could he, could he do well in the NFL? Apparently I, that Ernie, of course, he was like, yeah, <laughs> is he better than Josh Rosen? Yeah. Who do we get to coach him? Keep him in the, in the system that he's always played in cliff Kingsbury. Wow. Didn't think of that. You know, um, So it's just fascinating to me how that one game shaped a certain amount of fate. And, you know, moving fast forward once Kyler arrived, um, you know, I think the tone of the very first game where he was, Kyler was hard, it was hard for him to complete a pass in the first half. He was getting passes batted down left and right against the Lions um you know but the fact that kyler came back in the second half and had a really fantastic second half i mean the tone that that set for kyler as a pro i thought was outstanding even though it was in a tie it's too bad that uh cardinals dropped an interception that could have ended up winning the game but um but that was a great positive first step in thinking that boy this could work and um i think the the seeds were planted there But the next fateful game that really hurt the Cardinals was, ironically, J.J. Watt getting injured against the Texans um, in Arizona at home on a fluky, great hustle play he was trying to make to tackle uh, the the Texans quarterback from behind, rookie quarterback from behind. and I mean – Sort of like a Texas, Texas Tech. I mean, the Cardinals have never been deep enough defensively to withstand losing a stud like J.J. Watt. His presence in the building changed everything in the offseason. I mean, in his insistence that he came to Arizona to win a Super Bowl and that Kyler Murray was the quarterback who could do it, was huge for the morale of that team. Plus, acquiring, um, you know, Rodney Hudson. I mean, they were brought in star power into the equation, and it was working. When you have a mindset, I mean, the mindset is so critical. But then, I mean, you know, we saw what J.J. was doing uh, in attacking the run um, as well as getting pressure on the passer. He wasn't getting sacks, but he was up there in the league leaders in, in pressures. And the Cardinals' defense was getting turnovers, and they were out to the 7-0 start. I mean, they were 7-0 with with Watt, and I was really worried after that, figuring they had to make some sort of a move to compensate, as playoff contenders do, is you find a way to find another player. Because without J.J. Watt, that that defense suddenly became pretty thin in the middle. And um, we saw it against Green Bay in that fateful game. Um, you know, which, which I think changed a lot of things for Kyler Murray, unfortunately. Um, you know, um, that took a lot of wind out of his sails. And of course it was adding injury to insult after the, the, uh, the miscue, the missed audible to AJ Green, um. And this great comeback that the Cardinals were making, they could have pulled it out. I mean, even a field goal there would have tied the game at least and sent it into overtime. But but Aaron Rodgers was missing all his key receivers in that game, but it didn't matter because they were running the ball with Aaron Jones um, and A.J. Dillon, you know, ad ad nauseum right through the Cardinals' defense. They're controlling long drives, clock-controlled, you know, so to be in that position, to still be in a position to either tie or win the game at the end of the game was so great. But, um, you know, I think that that game was, as it turns out now, it looks like it was it was the game that created the kind of friction between Kyler and and Cliff that persisted from that point on. Because, you know, and you can just imagine um, the frustration that, that, uh, Cliff may have felt with that audible coming off a timeout where he had a play design that he felt was going to win the game. Um, and Kyler checked out of it. This would have been now the second play in a row because he had a, Cliff had another play called on second down where um, Kyler audibled out of it and ran the, the um, uh, speed option that resulted in his high ankle sprain where um, he got t- twisted up by a, by a Packers defensive back who came in and rolled on his ankle. That was fateful. But, you know, when you have – when you give quarterbacks autonomy, they want full support and everything um, to be able to do what they do. But then at the same time, when you have a head coach who, you know, particularly coming off a timeout who's got a play dialed up that, that he thinks is really going to work there, to just be on schedule and run it. Um and then you had, you know, so following that, um, you know, that was a, a game changer for their relationship. I I believe that was a turning point because Kyler is never really the same since um, and hasn't been the same since. He struggled down the stretch, as we know. Came out of it for one game against the Cowboys because going into that stadium is a special thing for Kyler and, you know, he, he, uh, he got it done again there on the second to last game of the season, you know, but then the Rams playoff game, which is a turning point too, because whatever happened in that game, you know, at the end of that season, affected Kyler's, you know, attitude towards the next season. And, his focus on his contract and everything else, um, you know, and for a year that uh, the Cardinals had were having the Super Bowl in their building, um, it was so unfortunate that uh, Kyler was missing OTAs. The whole offensive line and top receivers were missing OTAs. Hadn't been on the field for two years in OTAs, so you know that would have been three years in a row. Other teams were taking it full advantage and, you know, just so unfortunate. But, you know, so losing J.J. Watt and in a way losing Kyler Murray's, you know, um, whatever it was that prompted Kyler to scrub his socials and make the Super Bowl weeks about him and his bag and um, his potential future with the Cardinals, which was pretty much threatened by. The, the the agent um, was all very, you know, uh, altering. I mean, particularly for Kyler and damaging nationally for his reputation coming off his worst game as a pro and then now pulling these antics and, you know, um, and on a national scale, it was not received well. And then, of course, the, the leaks from the Cardinals that people have now um assigned to Steve Kime. Um and that's the the rumor that Kime was the one leaking to the media how Kyler had leadership issues that they wanted to uh you know um improve and this and that. It was just created a total mess and and a quagmire which you know the the organization couldn't come back out from in a year where you would have thought, you know, if they could get motivated by that game, which JJ Watt was, because he was in the building the very next day after it continued to work. And it's miraculous that he even played in that game, but you know, a game in which somehow Vance Joseph decided it was a good time to bench both Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons. This was Simmons playing such a great game at Dallas just two weeks previous. Um, it's just bizarre. There's just so many things about that game that were pivotal um, in so many ways. It was something that, that uh, uh, you know, if if the players hand it, handle it with maturity, they fight back hard and they do it together and they do it all the right way. And unfortunately that didn't happen. But then another huge game, which people perhaps – have um, underestimated was the Cardinals game against the Eagles. Um, you know, amazingly, without OTAs and Kyler being out all of training camp with injuries, the when the Cardinals came in, you know, when the Eagles came in to play the Cardinals, the Eagles were four and zero, the Cardinals were two and two, and the Cardinals win that game, they get to three and two. The Eagles, the Cardinals knock the Eagles off of their undefeated streak into four and one, it'd be one game behind the Eagles in the NFC conference. Um, and, you know, so, and the Cardinals had, oh my God, they had such a golden opportunity in that game. They played a really good game. You know how good the Eagles were and won what a role they were on. Well, this was a nip and tuck game. that Cardinals tied it in the second half. Um, and then the Eagles got a field goal. The defense stopped him from getting a touchdown. And now the Cardinals had the ball and they're driving. And then came the fateful short slide of the first down from Kyler and the miscommunications or Kyler not picking up that he was short and um, spiking the ball on third down, leaving Cliff with, the choice of either going for it on fourth down or kicking the field goal to tie it. And Cliff decided to kick, try to kick the field goal and it was wide, right. Um, and, you know, by the Prater was, you know, there's another thing If Prater's in that game. Um, is it a different outcome? I, I think it would have been, um, but it was Matt Dola who was, who came in struggling to begin with and, all that, I mean, from that point on, the Eagles just started soaring and soaring and building on that. And the Cardinals started um, swooning, unfortunately. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's amazing how one game can be pivotal. I mean, Bruce Arians, in a year that they were heavily favored to win the Super Bowl in, in um, you know, 2016. Later, admitted that the Cardinals' first week loss to the Patriots took the wind out of that entire team's sails. I mean, you've talked about one game changing fortunes, and that was the beginning of the end for BA. You know, um, <clears throat> so, but that Eagles game <laughs> was so critical, and it was so close, It's so much closer than people realize that if the outcome of that game is different, it could have been a totally different outcome for both teams' seasons. And then, you know, for Jonathan Gannon, what would, have, would have that have meant? And what's disappointed me as I went back and looked at that game, how, why Gannon didn't notice that Isaiah Simmons was the best defensive player other than J.J. Watt on that field for the Cardinals. He uh, led the team with 13 tackles that day and was all over the place. Um, oh, man, I, mean, I don't know why you make don't make a mental note of that. And um, but anyway, so and then of course the Super Bowl game for Gannon, how um, how that affected his career. I mean, now that this week we've seen teams. Um, give hefty raises to coordinators for them to stay and shun head coaching jobs as Bobby Slowick did with the, with the uh, Texans, which is incredible. And then Ben Johnson did with the lions. I mean, talking about one game changing everything. I mean, those, how about one season changing everything for them and in that them being so um, tied in and on board with what, with the direction of their current teams, that given a raise to come to stay with, and part of the part of the solution moving forward, um, it's more attractive to them than taking um, the Seahawks or Commanders jobs. It's pretty impressive, you know. The same thing could have happened to Gannon. I mean, particularly if the Eagles won that Super Bowl, and he had already intimated that they were paying him more to come back after the NFC championship game where he said, I'm coming back. Um, they're, they're paying me. Um, so, you know, whatever happened in that interim, we sort of know, um, in those two weeks in preparation for that game was a game changer. Which we also
0: know to be true because, you know, Vic Fangio was offered more money by the Eagles than the dolphins to go take their defensive coordinator job this cycle around. And, As of the previous hiring cycle, Jonathan Gannon was the 32nd highest paid head coach in the NFL. I don't know how that's changed given the latest hiring cycle. But, you know, at the time, he was the the lowest paid head coach in the NFL.
1: Right. It's just curious how Gannon, too. Like, I I don't quite understand this. And nobody's explained it to me in a way that makes perfect sense to me yet. But, I mean, when Steve Steichen went into Indy, did he take charge of the offense? Hands-on? Absolutely. Look what happened there. I mean, Gardner Minshew just got tabbed for the Pro Bowl. Gardner Minshew. (laughs) Um, So crazy. I know. I mean, look what he did with Minshew and with Richardson before Richardson got hurt. I mean, he was calling the plays. Did D'Amico Ryans take over the defense as he came in to Houston? <laughs> you betcha. I mean, Matt Burke is the has the title of DC, but he's the defensive line coach. He's not making the calls there. Um, D'Amico Ryans is. Look what happened there. I mean, you know, I just don't so and J- JG said as a condition he wouldn't take the Cardinals job if offered, if they expected him to call the defense. And I mean, to watch the Cardinals defense suffer in the manners in which they did this year and not have an intervention of sorts. I mean, and and hiring a 30 year old defensive coordinator without experience, um, who, by the way, I like Nick Rouse, and I think eventually he's going to be really good. And, um, you know, but that's a lot to heap on a 30 year old shoulders um, without a anyone in the building who's called defensive plays before. You know, I don't even have an advisor or a mentor other than Gannon, who doesn't want it himself. Um, that still is like, Bizarre to me that that would be a condition that he would insist upon. Now, what Gannon has done with Kyler Murray is laudable. I mean, I was questioning it from the beginning because I didn't know what to expect. And I didn't think Kyler would play this year. Because again, and the positive impact he's had on Murray and Kyler said that he and I think the same way. Kyler ended up playing this year. And it was a positive experience and he shows real growth in that offense. And there's optimism going in to next year with how Kyler fits in that offense, which Kyle and I have talked about. And Kyle has helped me grow into an understanding of how well um, Kyler is now fitting in that, that offense, um, surprisingly in certain respects. Um, but yeah. And then hiring Drew Petzing was the best hire you know, on his staff. Um, and so awesome. I mean, from that standpoint, you got the thing moving forward. From the defensive standpoint, um, there's just because of cutting key players and, you know, that defense, I don't know if you can add enough pieces to, you know, have fans suddenly say, not use the excuse of we don't have the talent in one year to rectify this situation, but hopefully they can. But it's also ironic that all people are talking about are offensive players at the top of this draft um, when the defense needs so much. It was just mind-boggling to me, too, that the two defensive players that, that, you know, so that Monty Ossofort didn't do enough in free agency, obviously, and he had $14 left over to try to do something with and didn't use it. Um, more a cornerback and more defensive line, and then the decision, of course, to move Collins. Which, by the way, Kyle Vandenbosch said yesterday he didn't get that, and he loved how Kylan, how uh, Collins was improving and making a mark as a middle linebacker, as a Mike the, the year before with 100 tackles. Um, you know, uh, and Kyle Vandenbosch predicts that they have to have that conversation again this year. Do we move him back and then put it, put slide Kaiser over to a weak inside linebacker where he was best in Philly? Um, makes a lot of sense, but we don't know whether that's going to happen or not yet. But then, you know, I mean, so you hire, you don't get a, an advisor in the building. You're the defense being called by, um, like Nick Rouse, who's never done it before. And your first two defensive players are not defensive linemen. Although they're a linebacker and a cornerback and both of them have medical red flags that, you know, probably can't start day one. Just bizarre. Um, you know, I like both players and I hope like crazy that, that they're not, you know, you know, that they can hold up and play 17 weeks every season and play effectively. And, uh, Ogilary has flashed ability. And so, uh, you know, you like the talent there. Garrett Williams was wonderful in the slot. And then, uh, you know, like the talent there, but Williams didn't last. He, he tweaked a knee, which worries you. Cause he was the knee that, I don't know if it's the same knee, but, um, that, that had him out, but, uh, You know, and then no defensive lineman until the sixth sixth round is bizarre to me. And But fortunately, in the sixth round, they hit a home run with Dante Stills. So kudos to them there. I mean, if you're doing a redraft, I think Stills would warrant a round three or round four pick easily um, in retrospect. So kudos there. But now, this year all fans are talking about are wide receivers and tackles at the top of this with their first two picks. And, you know, yeah, it'd be nice to add to what we have on offense. And but that will make sense if they can really nail some things down in free agency, like Christian Wilkins, who's got a tie to Derek LeBlanc, who helped coach him in, in, in Miami. And then, You know, with the Dolphins being $55 over the cap and having Robert Hunt, an all-pro left guard, hitting free agency, chances are that Wilkins won't be tagged and he'll be, you know, free to test the market. Um, So I think that's, you know, if you can address this in free agency, that's going to be huge. Picking up uh, one of the better corners is going to be huge. Um deciding what to do with Zavin Collins is gonna be huge. Um deciding what to do with Buddha Baker. I mean he's listed in some um like Spot Rack as a free agent because Spot Rack knows none of his his remaining salary is guaranteed. And it was kind of a, a reworked contract to make it work for Buddha in two thousand twenty three, but something's gotta be done with the contract for him to stay or if they can't agree to terms on staying, they they're going to have to trade work a trade. And this week it's been predicted that um, I think PFF that uh, Buddha would be highly coveted by two teams, the Eagles and who else? There was another team there. Um, Eagles have been linked to him for a while. So, um, and Buddha would have a market without question. Um, <clears throat> and that's a huge question. So there are a lot of these huge questions. But finally, I mean, in the last game of the season, um, losing a game that they were in full command of, uh, you know, where it almost looked like rehearsed at the end. To miss the field goals, which normally, you know, Matt Prater would nail both field goals, and to give up 65 yards in four plays, a touchdown at the end, and a wide open back of the end zone with no pressure on the quarterback, two point conversion. I mean, what's interesting to me is how that game can affect the potential future. Um, of the Cardinals in that, you know, the, the hip hip parade from fans who were like, that gets us pick number four, solidifies that instead of going to five and gives us the best chance to get Marvin Harrison Jr., which is, you know, we don't even know if Marvin Harrison Jr. is actually number one priority on Monty Osfort and Dave Sears, um, Bork, um, because uh, there are tackles there, I think, that they really like. You know, you also have um, some defensive players near the top of that draft uh, that could make a lot of sense if they're going to go in that direction. They're also great. My plan B is Bowers. I, I love that kid. Um, and think with 12 and 13 personnel, with him and McBride, they would be absolutely dynamic and really tough to stop, you know, if Marvin Harrison isn't there. Um, but what happens in free agency is going to be key. But I just want to point out this one game, how one game affects the draft. Because sometimes when you focus on it, you, here's here's the thing, and this has happened so often, where fans get disappointed when their teams win at the end of the season in meaningless games. Look at what happened to the Texans. You know, Lovey Smith, God bless him, was like, screw this, I'm winning this last, I'm doing everything I can to win this last game. They're going to fire my ass, I'm going out, giving my players the best chance to win so we can celebrate something at the end of this season. And they do, they win in the last week, you know, and so it knocks them to number two. Otherwise they would have had the number one pick, which everyone was, you know, kind of clamoring for. Um, and but look what happened, you know? I mean, with Carolina making the decision to go with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud fell right into their laps at two. It didn't matter whether they won the last game. And then how they handled the draft. And here's another thing with a pick that I think that will be de- might be debated for years to come was that you know, with the Cardinals had a chance to draft Will Anderson Jr., which the fans wanted vociferously for months. Um, You know, and electing to trade down for the Hall. Um, You know, that trade isn't looking as beneficial as it was because you figured at the time you would have two top ten picks, potentially. Um, And that hasn't happened, obviously. Um, and look look at the how the direction that the Texans took this year for their program versus the direction the Cardinals took. um
0: the Cardinals struck out because they got the worst of the two Texans first round picks. They were taking the Texans pick, thinking it would be the best of the two, and they ended up with the worst of the two
1: right. That's the oh, that's a great point, yeah, I mean, yeah, I
0: guarantee you, Monty wanted the Texans pick. Instead of the other one right. that they have knowing right. that the Texans would be worse. And then lo and behold, the Texans pick was later in the draft.
1: Right. And look what happens when you go into a season, you know, with the attitude of like, I'm a new coach winning was the more we can win. The more we're going to build this program and the confidence of the program, you know, we're not going to tank. Um, we did our thing. We got our two guys. They want to build this thing around and Stroud and Anderson. You know, you got to, if you're a Texans fan right now, which, um, my pal, Brett Coleman is, I, I think you're pretty happy with what you're seeing. And particularly since they just kept slow in the building. Wow. And their quarterback coach who has been asked to, uh, for uh, OC jobs. I mean, whoa. So, but the difference a pick can make, I mean, when I was on the Giants podcast, um, you know, the Giants, the Giants, uh, God, Ed Valentine was telling me how the year that Chase Young was uh, in the draft, how the Giants fans were, I rate that the Giants won at the end of the year, which would have cost them um Chase Young. And instead they ended up with Andrew Thomas, all pro left tackle. And that, you know, Chase Young now is started off hot, but you know, is now heading to free agency as a bit of a question mark because of injuries and you know there's r- rumors coming out of the Bay Area that uh, the Steve Wilkes and the, the defensive coaches and Shanahan are not happy with Young as he took plays off in the last week's game and that they might not even play him in the Super Bowl or play him in a lesser role. Interesting if that happens that I don't know if there's meat on meat on that bone or not but wouldn't surprise me um cuz man there were times i saw in that game through young uh didn't look like he was balling um so uh, and he wasn't the only one obviously in that first half they were getting run on relentlessly so but you never know i mean that's why all the selling out to lose can oftentimes you know i i I know I'm crazy and people call, him, call me crazy, but I believe in the football gods. I believe in football karma. I mean, how you create your own karma. And the gods would look down. That's why I believe there's no way Cardinals will have a chance at Marvin Harrison Jr. It's just not going to happen. It's just not. Unless they tr- trade up, which they won't do. And nor should they. But, I mean, for all this, you know, Wanting to lose for Marvin Harrison Jr., the football gods will not allow that. It just won't happen. I mean, and I'll be, you know, happy if it does, but not surprised at all if it doesn't. Well, that's why you have to have a plan B. And I think that with Monty and Dave, we will have plan B, C, D, and E. Um, They'll map this out and come up with the best thing they, they can. I just hope this year, because they're going to need to play these rookies again. Uh, They stay away from guys with medical red flags, like the kid Latu. I love, but yeah, if he falls to twenty-seven, then it's worth the risk. I don't think he will, but but uh, you know that's a scenario. I mean, if 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 Zach Center is there in. On day three, by all means, you know, you take him. But on day two, that might be – although, you know what? He just suffered a broken bone, which I think is – he might end up running before the – so let me rephrase it. I think Zinter would be a great day three pick if he's running before the draft. Um, And apparently his rehab's going really well. So let me check that. Um. In fact, uh, you know, for sure, that's, it wasn't like he suffered an ACL or an MCL or anything like that. So a broken bone, you can come back with much faster and it can be stronger even. Um, So, uh, but how one, you know, trying to draft, trying to lose to get one draft pick is is oftentimes uh, doesn't work out quite the way you'd expect. So. But um, it's just – so that game, that last game, we'll see how, what the impact is, you know, short and long-term on the Cardinals. I was really disappointed, obviously, and have been since that we lost that game. So I wanted the team to finally beat Pete Carroll on a last-season game. It, it actually meant a lot to them for um, – because they were still in the hunt. And, uh, you know, because Carol has been a nemesis and helping to take out our last three head coaches, um, you know, had a big impact on all three of their dismissals um, and declines. Uh, so, um, yeah. And then, of course, I, I wanted to avoid the first time ever going 0-6 in, in the NFC West. I thought leaving on a high note would have been so good, especially winning the last two games and with Kyler. But the buzz is still positive. That's good. Be interested to see how this affects the Cardinals' free agency. Hopefully, they'll get good interest. But I'm a little leery of that. I'm not sure, you know, if, um, they've done enough, created enough buzz to be nationally, you know, one of the more you know, exciting teams to come to for free agents. Although money always talks. I'm not sure the Cardinals will even open up the vault either. Um, whether they'll shun the Bidwell $10 million rule um, is another thing to be seen. So, but it is exciting to see how they're, you know, got these picks and got a big golden opportunity and, um, and how fate has shaped a lot of things going on here. Vic Fangio, as Kyle pointed out, is now back in Philly. Um, amazing how they got Kellen uh, Moore to be offensive coordinator. Boy, they really um, switched gears for their coordinators in a hurry. In a New I'm York so minute.
0: curious how they're going to build that offense out with, with Kellen Moore because that – their personnel is changing. They don't Their their entire interior offensive line is going to be gone from the Super Bowl team when when Jason Kelsey retires. Right. Uh, AJ Brown and DeVonta Smith, I mean they they can extend DeVonta Smith this offseason. I don't know if they're going to, but they have the option to give him a contract extension. So that I I'm really curious to see why they hired Kellen Moore and what he's going to do with that offense.
1: I know and I thought Cliff would be ideal. Because, uh, you know, um, I mean, <laughs> Cliff gets such a bad rap. I don't want to go into length, more at length. But, you know, when Cliff gets quarterbacks to play on schedule, they're really dang good and be on the same page. So, you know, I think, you know, Cliff's being passed by so far. There are two OC jobs left. I'm not sure if he's going to get either one of them this year, but if you get cliff with a good quarterback, who'll be uh, play on schedule more often than not. I like his chances a lot. And boy, with, I thought with hurts cliff could have quite an impact. Um, now I don't want to disparage Kellen Moore; He's, a, he's, uh, one of the better offensive coordinators in the league. Um, but a different style nonetheless, and he'll probably be successful, but, uh, We'll never know now whether Cliff would have, what, what he would have done, but I would have been so um, fascinated to see. And I hope Cliff gets the Raiders job or Commanders. Um, you know, I could see a scenario on Commanders if, if they went with, uh, with Mike Vrabel. You know, Cliff has a connection with Vrabel. And, of course, Vrabel saw Cliff and Kyler at their utter best in the first game in Tennessee two years ago, oh, my God, that game was a clinic by the Cardinals' offense. A clinic. I mean, and D-Hop was on fire. I mean, Kyler was a magician in that game. I mean, J.J. Watt and Saban Collins taking down um, Derek Henry. I mean, so, uh, you know, a combo package deal of Rabel as head coach, Running that defense um, with Cliff, and you know they have the second pick, so it could be Cliff and Drake May, or Jalen Dan- Jaden Daniels, or if for whatever reason Caleb Williams slides to, you know Cliff already had a, has a relationship with him. I think that would be an awesome scenario for Cliff. Um, if, if and I I, I would champion. For it, um, given my if if I could speak to the powers that be, um, I'm going to tweet it out there, of course, because uh, you know I'd love to see I love to see Cliff get us get his shot as an OC because that's where he's always belonged. I mean, we all know that, um, and that's essentially what he was in Arizona. He was an OC and. Try head coach with Joseph and Rogers because um, he had no say on the other side. So that's not head coach. All right, so Kyle, my man. Mm-hmm. So, is what was there a, a a game or a life experience you know to date in your young amazing life that? you know, has sort of, um, been faithful for you?
0: You know, there's not really a game that I would point to. Um, in fact, my story might, might end up connoting the opposite version of that, which was after I got, uh, cut by my 10th grade high school baseball team. Um, the following year I was thinking that, you know, I, I'll try again, see what happens. And if not go through the winter ball league and, and my dad was kind of in the opposite camp of being like, well, you haven't really practiced all that much. And, and we didn't have a strong support system because it was just him and me and my brother at the time. And my brother was starting high school basketball and baseball and stuff like that. And so it was kind of the the opposite version of convincing me to not keep playing baseball in that sense. Um, And I remember that year, the sixth grade, uh, I'm sorry, the sixth period class that I had was, uh, biology that year. And I was going to switch out of that class to switch into baseball, um, and, and go out for the team again. And then, you know, talk to my dad, my dad kind of convinced me not to go out for the team again. And so after that, I was just sticking with the, the class that I had. And I remember that that's. Ended up being a a weird blessing in disguise situation, even though it was like, you know, when your life revolves around sports for so long and then sports are gone after that, it's kind of like a moment of like, oh, your identity is is gone at that point. Or at least a part of you that, you know, brought you some sort of escape is gone at that point. And so uh, I remember I stuck with the 11th grade or the sixth period biology class that year, and it was just a, a magical class probably the best i've ever had in high school not necessarily because i loved biology or science so much but just the group of people that we had in that class and the teacher we had was like 27 28 years old it was his second year teaching and he was just like the nicest guy ever i still chat with him periodically he lives up in northern california too now and it just wow. he was he was a wonderful man and we just had a great group of people in that class and it it, it was kind of a moment where i kind of like branched out of just the cuz I, I was a bit naive as a kid and a bit you know uh, under a lot of pressure cuz we didn't have much of a support system and so i was under a lot of pressure those last couple of years even though i didn't really recognize just how much pressure i was under and um and that class was just wonderful for giving me the space to branch out and be myself and and have a group of people who genuinely all liked each other, like the chemistry that we, I mean, it's pun intended there, but like the group that we had all really liked each other. We all had fun. We came in and laughed every day. It was, it was just such a great class that I still have such fond memories on and I would have never gotten to experience it if I had kept going. So I think when my, when my sporting career died, that, that moment of inflection point for me was, was realizing that, Hey, you're not going to play baseball anymore. You don't have the support system to keep playing sports in high school, but what you can make the best of is, is whatever your class you have, whatever people that you're surrounded with. And you could kind of realize that like you have personality and character and, you can be funny also and and people actually think that you're funny in that kind of sense. And you know, that outgoing personality kind of came out because I had a space where I felt accepted and included, which was never really the case up to that point. So that, that 11th grade biology class was, was the beginning of kind of me branching out and also just realizing, uh, you know, there's other spaces to occupy. Cause I remember after I then graduated high school, uh, that summer after that my senior year of high school was really tough and so th- after the the j- just mentally and like you know mental health type of stuff it was a really really tough year and you know uh, trying to figure out college without much of a support system and uh, you know there's some issues with my dad and so uh, that senior year was really really tough for me and then I remember after graduating that summer after I was like, well I've got three months, before I go to college, I have nothing going on. I just need to to do something to to keep myself from going crazy or or you know spiraling a bit. Waiting and waiting and waiting till I can finally you know leave home, and I guess in my right. case, leave home for good. And. That's why I was just like, why don't we just like try and figure out how to do a podcast? Why don't we just try and figure out how to do sports talk stuff? And now, right. you know, it, it became just a, a thing to do to escape. And then I got to college and was doing it at 530 in the morning during my freshman year because that was the only time I had where I knew I'd be able to record for 45 minutes a day. And uh, the show evolved from there you you found the take it easy podcast a group of friends of ours found the podcast and uh you know i've i've dedicated a a significant portion of my young life to trying to follow this weird wacky dream of talking about sports and a lot of that started from having my uh having my baseball dreams or having my you know sports dreams be ruined uh by not having much of a support system and so i kind of created that support system based on uh you know who was around me and, uh, you know, finding a group of people who actually did make my life just a little bit better when I was able to, to have those, those hours away from home during the week. So, you know, my, my moment of inflection, I guess, in my life was, uh, the moment that my support system ended my chances of playing baseball, but it opened up this incredible new window that, um allowed me to focus energy not on sports which you know were fun and all that stuff but it was just you know I did it because that's what I had always done I never really asked myself what I really wanted outside of watching sports and knowing sports and all sorts of stuff like that using that as the escape but uh my inflection point in that sense was was the moment that it became clear to me that I wasn't going to play sports anymore and I got this uh, you know, when one door closes, another door opens because I would have never right. had the the incredible group that that built up my confidence and built up my personality in my my uh, sixth period biology class in 11th grade that 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 year was really important to me. So that's that's my inflection point of sorts. And And from there, there's some other, you know, moments of just looking up and being like, hell, why don't we try and follow our dreams why don't we try and have some affable personality and and things of those sorts that i felt like i wasn't really allowed to have when i was uh when i was younger
1: wow what a great story and meaningful story because um i often every year to my classes every one of my classes i would I would say to them, you know, there's typically if you stick with education, you go to college between high school and college, there will be a course that might change your life and a teacher. Um, And um, I'm such a believer in that. For me, it was a college Shakespeare class at Boston College, which was so hard. No one wanted to take it. and I was one of four students in there. And uh, the professor pulled me aside after the last day um and said i think you know you're a sports fan right i said yeah he said yeah i you're so good at this shakespeare stuff i had gotten a c in the class the highest grade in the class but this guy didn't give higher than c's so i was kind of astonished he was saying that and he said you should t- teach this stuff high school um high school and coach the sports you love that's just an fyi just a hunch but I think you'd be great at it. And to that point, I was—I mean, I was looking at him sideways, like, "Me teach? Are you kidding, coach?" Um, but you know, planting seeds. I mean, you meet that key teacher. You meet—you're part of it now. There's nothing more invigorating than being part of a team. Look at that Lions team, for example, or that Texans team that's just so galvanized and, or being a part of a class because classes are great teams. you know, like, you're working together to, to, to learn is just awesome. So when you were relating that experience, it gave me goosebumps to think of all that. And um, just as a closer, you know, not sometimes, you know, like you said, one, one door closing and another opening, this is still so bizarre to me. And I just want to, say how sometimes things happen in life and at the time you think it's just so bizarre that they would happen but it would have to happen for a reason that you wouldn't know at the time that maybe later on you would but mike had my longest tenure as a head football coach was at river school in weston massachusetts near boston and i was hired I turned them down like three or four times, but they just kept coming back. The head of the board of trustees there wanted a football coach who could help s- save the program because the, the independent school league of 16 schools wanted to kick them out of the league because they'd been inept in football for too many years and their games were, were just blowouts. Um, and he especially wanted this to happen because his son was a s- upcoming sophomore and he he was a football player and basketball, and baseball player. And I ended up coming in there as football, basketball, and baseball the first year I coached all three. And I wanted to because I wanted to attract kids into the football program. And, um, you know, the first day of football practice, I was there. Fortunately, I brought a six-foot, four-inch quarterback who was this great, unbelievable kid with me. But we walked out there for the first day of practice. There were 15 players on the field. 15 in a varsity football program. We had to comb through the halls and bring out every athlete we possibly could. Fortunately, we were able to do that. But by year three, we had our first non-losing record in like ages and through your back. And the program got good enough that Belichick sent his sons to play football there. Um, Later on, I was not there then. but, But here's how I got fired or not let go. It wasn't fired in private school. You live on year to year contracts. There's no tenure or anything. So we had a change in leadership, um, which often happens with a headmaster who wanted to de-emphasize athletics suddenly. And it didn't bother the head of trustees any longer. His son was now a senior and was going to be leaving the school. And, the The head of board tr- trustees who did everything possible to get me in the school was the reason why I got fired. And here's what happened was uh, my basketball record at the school was like an 800 winning percentage. We went 15 and oh, my first year in the independent school league and were the number one seed in the classy new England championships. I just had blessed with really good team players. We weren't the most talented team. I mean, we knocked off Thayer Academy twice. They were in top twenty-five of USA Today's uh top high school um teams. They had two D one players um on that team. They were in our league. We went fifteen-o in the league. Um, and then all three years that I coached basketball there, we were one of the top four seeds in the NCAA, in, in the New England Class C championship. So, I mean, that was going really well. And and this the board of trustees' son was one of my captains my third year. Great kid, loved this kid. I mean he was a tight end for me in football. great attitude um, great spirit. Uh, but we're playing Thayer in the last game of the season, and they're I think we're undefeated and we scrap back and with it behind by one, we make a steal and pass ahead to Andy, who was my captain son of the board of trustees and unfortunately Andy missed a wide open layup which would have won the won the game and Thayer grabbed the rebound and we had to foul him and they made the free throws and the game was over I felt awful for the kid and I immediately went over and hugged him and said look look don't worry we're going to the um, playoffs and we played a great game here we know and that happens to everybody. Um, you're just so revved up. I know it, it, it happened. So don't worry. It wasn't, you know, it just, you know, we can move on from this because we got more basketball up. So um, then I called him at home that night to just make sure he was okay. Cause I know the kind of kid he was. I'm sure he was just so upset. So, so for the next game, in the, in the first round of the Class C championships, we're at Groton and um, playing a really good Groton team with a they had a six ten center, and we're leading the whole game. I had to miss school that day. I had a terrible cough, cold. I didn't even know if I could coach in the game. I had the flu, um, and um, but I I made it, made the trip, went up there. Well, we ended up losing by one or two points uh, just uh nip and tuck game. I felt terrible. And typically at the end of seasons, I would always laud my players in the locker room af- afterwards. We'd get very emotional, but I was so sick that day. A, I didn't want to get them sick. And B I, I just felt like I told the kids, look, I'm going to, I'm going to sing your praises at the banquet. I'm not feeling well. And I, I really um, think we ought to just shower up and get on the bus. <clears throat> but I, I love how hard we played today. Um, so anyway, so, after, so a week later, I was called into the headmaster's office, and there was the athletic director, and there was um, um, like the – few of the school's administrators, and I was like, what is this? So I sat down, and the headmaster said that uh, they'd received a complaint um, Mm -hmm. from Andy, who complained that he missed the layup in the Thayer game because you always made him too nervous to play as well as he could and i was like what said yeah in fact um he's pretty distraught about it and as a result and we've kind of found this to be the case um with other players um you're not going to coach basketball here anymore i think i had the highest winning percentage in school history there um somehow some way I was being and at the end of next year you we're going to coach football for one more year at the end of next year we're letting you go and I was just like can you imagine um, and also oh and the other complaint was that you always laud your teams at the end of the last game in the locker room it's often very emotional You skipped that, and Andy thought it was a real diss. And I explained to him, again, the reason why. I was sick as a dog, and I didn't want to infect them more and give them more exposure to it, and I just wanted to get on the best as fast as we could, and it was going to come at the bank, which I did. I you know, praised these kids all up and down. Now, I mention this because, you know, I mean, this is how – precarious and think things can get. And so many of you have stories like this or something akin to where you got totally blindsided by something at work or in a relationship or something, something that came out of the blue that made absolutely no sense. I mean, I had a really good rapport with this kid, really good rapport. And I, I imagine he was pressured by his, his father and the reality occurred to me almost immediately that now that, and I wasn't coaching baseball anymore because I couldn't do all three seasons, but I had attracted enough kids to the program where I didn't have to. Well, um, you know, it, it just dawned on me that the very minute my usefulness to the head of the board of trustees ended because my last game coaching his son was over, and the season didn't end the way that he had dreamed for his son. I was out. I was out. That's how things can work. Didn't matter that, you know, how it, the program was doing. Didn't ma- It's just that, um, you know, it was vindictive. It was like, you're done. And But I mention this because at the time, of course, I was just so, you know, just so flabbergasted and appalled and then became disgusted at these year to year contracts in private schools that I just said, you know what, I'm going to go for my public school certification. I, I can't, you know, I can't be vulnerable like this. I need to go into, into a system where you have a union and you have protection from stuff like this which should never happen. I mean, I never... Here's the thing. I never had a chance to face my accuser. That's the other thing. I said, look, I want to talk to Andy's dad. And Andy. No, no, no. Nope, they don't want to talk to you. it's, It's a done deal. I said, that's unfair. I mean, there's another side to this story, which I'm trying to explain. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, they were like, you know... You're. They don't want to talk to you, so we're not going to make them. I'm like, oh my god. I did end up talking to Andy one day in a classroom, and um, you know, tried to make my peace with him. But uh, and I sung his praises up and down at the banquet, which I knew I would. But um, so I was out at Rivers after doing what I was hired to do, probably better than than. Some people might have imagined, um, but uh, you know, wow, that's it's that's how precarious these, you know, life situations can be. But here's the rub, here's the amazing thing was that that decision led me to Foxborough High School, which became my home of homes for schools where I was. Greeted and privileged to work with the greatest group of kids and families I have ever met. Um, blue collar, grateful, appreciative, hungry to learn, run through brick walls. I was able to coach basketball there. My last team went, the deepest uh, Foxborough team has gone in the men, in the boys' basketball tournament. Southeastern Mass. That was awesome. Had just a great, great 21 years there of um, the back end of my career. And uh, none of that wouldn't have happened. And sometimes when weird stuff happens, like somebody breaks up with you because of some silly reason. It's not really the reason. But you wind up feeling like my good buddy Steve would always say to me, Walter. She's doing you a favor. (laughs) Um, That, you know, I mean, sometimes when bizarre stuff happens, it's for the, you can look back at it at the time. it's, It's heartbreaking, but then you can look back at it. So I look back on now, that game, the Thayer game where Andy missed the layup, was the game that changed my life forever for the good. And I'm sad to think It was a game that brought Andy down because I loved that kid and I loved coaching him, but, you know, that's the bizarre thing about games and what can happen afterwards. Um, that, uh, adds a dimension to not only the, you know, sports, but to life in general of how, uh, can dictate, um, career paths or personal paths like in Kyle's case of finding that dream team of his in that AP in that, in that um, biology class, junior biology class that uh, they turned into a show now AP bio (laughs) that's on TV now. So here's the thing is that I'd love to hear from you. Tell us your story. What what was a pivotal moment in your life? Was there a game that changed something for you? Or a life experience like Kyle's um, AP bio class? Let's open up a storytelling avenue on Revenge of the Birds. I posted that question at the end of this, you know, on the link to these podcasts, but it's a fascinating thing and um, you know, I'm hoping that 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 it'll create the kind of uh, inter-understanding and interaction among us as members on ROTB that knowing each other better, um, walking, being able to walk for a minute in somebody else's shoes and see what you've been through can be very inspiring. I was very inspired by Kyle's um, Kyle's uh, Story about AP Bio, and um, I want to thank him. Any final remarks, Sarah, uh, co-host?
0: Oh, I very much enjoyed your story about uh, your your private school coaching job and and having it end, and opening up a door for you to go back and get public school certified, and then you know making your way to Foxborough it's that that was a very sweet story to add on to it and it is that idea of like you mentioned right at the end at the end of whatever journey you're on you can look back and think of how uh the these moments that were devastating in the moment turn out to be these incredible positives in your life and uh looking back oh how many years is that now for me seven years seven calendar years now and thinking back to that it's like oh my goodness so the 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 sixteen year old me thought this was devastating and and you look back in hindsight and it's like none of it mattered and it led you on this path to following your dreams and making you realize that you know once you once you leave home and get to start your own life you get to make whatever you so choose of your life and uh, if right. you want to follow your dreams you can uh, you have a support system there to support your dreams and you can chase them as to the fullest extent that you're willing to sacrifice for. And uh, that's that's one of the lessons that I learned out of those two years of uh, those last two years of high school where uh, a lot of my motivations came into to focus. So I really liked your story about that, because, you know, 21 years right. later, you can look back and think that was the the, the turning point of your your professional career
1: and uh,
0: right. a turning point for the better.
1: And to be honest, I owe my getting my teacher certification to move on. <laughs> I, I applied by the interview route where you go before a panel of principals and superintendents in the Boston area um, where I was. Um, so I had all these super 12 superintendents. They could, so I walk in and I'm seated. The first question is, what makes you think you can teach public school? <laughs> I mean, there's always this disdain for private school teaching or whatever. So when I explained to them how I ran a dormitory with Mo Vaughn in there and how I woke Mo Vaughn up every day and then coached him in, in three sports, um, they're like, Mo Vaughn? Yeah. I said, and in fact, we had Saturday morning classes. They're like, Saturday morning classes? I said, yeah. Um, and we had to chaperone dances, and I had to tuck the kids into bed every night. And, you know, I did this for 15 years, um, you know, or 11 in private boarding schools, and then four at Rivers uh, in a private day school, but there were a lot of, you know, similarities there. I said, it's a whole lot of bonding with kids, and um, I loved it, and I think I'm I'm pretty decent at it. And I'd love to do it at a public school. <laughs> Stamp, approved once they've heard Move on, I mean, my mom had a great saying and I love it. Is that she'd always say, E equals MC squared. After that, it's who you know in life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, how true can that be? You know, I mean, in other words, you either have a stroke of genius or the stroke of genius is tapping in on the people you know. Um, so I was really blessed to uh, have so many great kids over the years. But to wind up at Foxborough, which I call my home, and, of course, to be there during the Patriots uh, meeting Gronk. And I mean, it was just so so many great things. Now, it was tough. There were a lot of tough aspects of that, which I'll get to another time, because nothing's easy. It's not as simple as I just went in there and everything was perfect. A lot of it wasn't. But, and as all of you know, workplaces, it's, high stress and there are a lot of things going on that can make it pre- precarious. But, uh, at the end of the day, when you find the right place to be with the right people, it's really, in my case, the students and families it was awesome. So thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm really anxious to hear your, your stories. Um, cause, uh, I'm really fascinated in these kind of things. And, and, um, you know so let it rip, get on there, let us know of a scenario for you. It'll be on the website, as I said. Continue our discussions on Twitter at WBJ Mitch and RevengeOfTheBirds.com for Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter and myself. Um, and for all of you, may the red rain shower down on you into the red, red sea, red rain.